When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Mary O'Malley and Pamela Klingerhorn about their summer 2022 reading recommendations. Mary is the free-range virtual bookseller at large for Skylark Bookshop and author liaison and scheduling producer for A Mighty Blaze. She is also a writer, grandmother, and chicken wrangler. Mary lives outside of Chicago with her husband and a menagerie of pets. Pamela has been a literary event planner since 2012. She enjoys attending and promoting literary events throughout the Twin Cities and beyond and has been nicknamed the local literary fairy godmother. Pamela is currently the literary event coordinator at Valley Bookseller in Stillwater, Minnesota, and the creator and host of the monthly literary program, Literature Lovers Night Out. I hope you enjoy our conversation and add as many books to your list as I did. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome, Mary and Pamela. I am so glad you guys are back to join me again, this time to talk about summer 2022 reads. How are you both doing? Very well. Thank you so much for the invitation to return. I had so much fun with you and Mary last time that I am thrilled to be back. I am thrilled to be back as well. I just enjoy looking through these summer reads and choosing my favorites. So I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I had the best feedback from when the two of you all came on to talk about winter and early spring reads. So many people reached out and said they had wonderful lists and that you both talked about books that they didn't hear everywhere else. So I thought that was just wonderful. And I wanted to make sure I relate it to you both. Thank you so much. I'm glad that people found our talk interesting. As am I. And before we start, I had a couple of questions that I had been thinking about that I wanted to ask you. Sure. The first is, as you read, do you take notes? So you pick up a book and you know you're going to want to talk about it probably, 
And so you're reading. Do you take notes simultaneously? Do you wait until you're done? How do you keep up with that? Well, I can jump in on this one. For myself, I do not take notes as I read. I consider myself an emotional reader more so than a technical reader. So I will read a book and then I'll sit down and write my overall thoughts on it. And before I come onto your podcast and I sit down with all of my books, then I'll sit down and kind of look at them again with fresh eyes and think about what it was that stood out to me as I was reading and I'll jot down notes as I go along that way. So I, I take notes, but it's always after the fact before I'm doing a book talk rather than as I'm reading. I am similar. Mary and I joke that we are literary twin sisters. And I also take that first read purely to immerse myself in the story and just have that pleasurable read without any work going along. If I see some errors in the book, something I want to make note of, I might circle it with a pen, but otherwise I'm just reading it straight through. If I'm going to be giving a book talk or working with the author, then I'll go back a second time and make notes and um, you know particular bu- bullet points that I want to discuss. But th- that first read is pure enjoyment. That's so interesting because that's what I do too. I read through the first time just to enjoy it. I don't want to be distracted or pulled out of the story by jotting down notes or thinking about things. But then I find sometimes there'll be things that I've loved about a story as I'm reading. And then by the time I'm done, some of those little nitpicky details sort of disappear. So I've been trying to figure out a good way to sort of meet myself in the middle in terms of not interrupting my reading, but also being able to think, oh, this is one of the things that I thought was so cool as I was reading. So I don't know, flagging that page or what would work. That's why post-it notes were invented. I don't even have to write anything on it. I can just slap a post-it note on the page. So it has a little mark, bookmark there. And then when I go back, I'll remember that there's something I wanted to pay attention to there. I do something similar and cue the gasps of horror. Sometimes I just dog ear the page. Other times I will use these wonderful, amazing little tools called book darts. And they're little pieces of metal that go over the page with a little arrow. They're made out of brass or copper colored type things. You can get them either by the sheet or by the tin. There have been a few books I've read that I know right away I, I'm just going to want to remember so many details of that book that I'll pull out my tin of book darts and just book dart it all up. I'm such a nut about that. I just can't stand folded pages, even in my galleys. And my husband used to do that all the time. And I'm like, you can't do that. So we have a zillion bookmarks, but I like the idea of the book darts or just flagging with post-it notes. And that way, at least I can remember, oh, this is what I thought was so neat. Because sometimes by the time I'm to the end, it's kind of completely eluded me, whatever it was that I thought was such a neat factor about a book. Especially when you're consuming a lot of books like the three of us do. Exactly. My other question for you, and I'm so curious about this one, is whether you feel like you have a spidey sense for what you're going to like or not like. So you look at summer 2022, and I'm assuming you make a list of books as you were learning about them from various publishers, publications, whatever your process is for learning about what's coming up. And you make a list like these are the 20, these are the 40, whatever that number is that I'm going to make sure I read. They all sound like must reads to me. They're really good. And then when you actually make your way through those books, How accurate were you in terms of what you were going to like, if that makes sense? 
Well, I am fortunate in that I've worked with most of the publishers for long enough now that they know what I like. So, you know, a very high percentage of what I receive is something that is indeed of interest to me and I'm going to enjoy. They've either sent it to me or asked if I would like to receive a copy because they know I liked something that was a comp or they know I like this author, or they just have something that they think I would be a good match for. And I would say that, to their credit, they are right a very high percentage of the time. I don't really make a list. My list evolves constantly on my nightstand. I just kind of pile them up, and uh, things get shuffled around in order as I decide I'm going to read something next, or somebody says to me, you know, that Indie Next nomination is due, and I'm like, oh yeah, I did want to read that. So mine is just a constant work in progress. I'm really glad that Pamela said that because here I was thinking, oh my gosh, my, I have no, it's all Spidey sense or it's mostly Spidey sense. Like Pamela, publishers know what I'm interested in and they will send me things that they, they believe I will enjoy. I too, as I get books, I have maybe three TBR piles, the immediate TBR the I really want to get to TBR and the general, if I find another 24 hours in a day, maybe I'll get to the TBR. So I have these three stacks and as books come in, I'm constantly shifting them around. And sometimes it's picking a book up and the cover calls to me. Sometimes it's the blurb on the back that calls to me. And other times publishers will send something that Given my own devices, I might not have picked up at all, but they tell me, Mary, we we just really think you're going to love, love, love this book and I'll pick it up and I will love it. And I love the fact that I'm not just choosing books I think I would love, that they find me through these other avenues or Pamela reads something and says, Mary, you've got to move this to the top of your list. You're going to love it. And I, I always do. And same with me. If Mary's recommending something and I haven't read it yet, that gets bumped right up. <laughs> yes, we we and I, there's a core group of booksellers that I'm the same way with. That when I see the buzz from certain people happening, I'll move that book up higher on the list. And there are books, you know, that I'll pick up that maybe my bookselling friends or publishers were sure I was going to enjoy, and it's just not the right time. I hate to say that you know, a book was bad for me. It's often the the mood I'm in. If I've read several dark books, I can't read another dark book right now. I've got to go something light or maybe a thriller that just is a page turner. So it's very organic for me how the books find me and the timing with which they appear in my mailbox. That's so interesting because what you're describing is exactly what happens for me. I'm such a mood reader. I don't have the three stacks though. And I love that idea. Mine are just sort of piled everywhere, but I love kind of organizing them a little bit more along that. I know I'm going to read, I should get to, and we'll see if I have time for, but it just depends to me on whether I've seen recommendations. Like if you two start touting something, I'm like, okay, I need to probably move that up my list. And same with several other people whose recommendations I really like, but is, is continues to be a work in progress for me too, which is some of the fun. I mean, you want it to be fun. It has to be fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's dive in now to the part that I'm dying to hear about, which is your summer 2022 recommendations. Pamela, would you like to start? 
I would be happy to. I am going to start with June, and my first June release is The Lies I Tell by Julie Clark. Her most recent novel was The Last Flight, which I found out sold over 180,000 copies. It was an instant New York Times bestseller and so much fun, and she's back with another thriller, this time with two female protagonists and one is a con artist. So you get these wonderful different perspectives, and it's all about long-term planning, justice, and revenge. And in this story, patience is definitely a virtue if you're working a con. And in this book, you are going to have a hard time figuring out exactly who's the hunter and who's the prey. But Julie Clark will have you turning the pages at breakneck speed. This is a thrilling hunt for the truth amidst a lot of lies. And it's just kind of deliciously devious fun for summer. And, you know, it's exactly the kind of book I want to pick up when I'm sitting outside in the sunshine and I just want some wonderful entertainment. I could totally see Netflix or HBO Max picking this up to do a production. And I think readers are really going to enjoy this look into the psyche and motivations of these two women as they go back to seek retribution for these long-held wrongs against them. And I thought it was just a lot of fun and absolutely fascinating. So that's The Lies I Tell from Julie Clark coming in June. I am so excited for this book and I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's in my must-read pile because I love The Last Flight. I still recommend it to people. So I can't wait for this one. Well, you just need one good afternoon because you will tear through the lies I tell. That's good to know, too, that I need to start it when I know I have a little bit of time. Exactly. Of course, I'm in complete agreement with the lies I tell. It is a phenomenal book. And I do know if you pre-order it from an indie bookstore, you'll get a bonus chapter for the last flight included with your pre-order. So that's an added incentive to jump on pre-ordering that book. Okay, that's great to know because I love The Last Flight. Like I said, I recommend it still all the time. And I have been eagerly awaiting this book. Fantastic. Well, I have my first June pick. And it is It All Comes Down to This by Therese Ann Fowler. I loved Teresa's last book, A Good Neighborhood. I found it just absolutely enthralling. So I have been counting the days until this book comes out. And it all comes down to this is centered around the Geller sisters. You have Beck, who's a journalist with a marriage devoid of passion. You have Claire, who's a cardiologist and very skeptical who is in love with someone that she can never have. And then you have Sophie, the youngest, who's a sophisticated gallerist whose glamorous exterior hides a world of debt. When their mother dies, she leaves very explicit instructions as to their summer home and the disposition and what the girls need to do. And of course, none of the girls are happy about this. They're shocked by their mother's death. They knew she was ill, but she kind of kept it a secret how close to death she was. She didn't want them all flying to her bedside. So she died, you know, in, in private. And there's so much going on in this book, you know, will fulfilling their mother's final wishes, bring them together or tear them apart. 
as much as I loved A Good Neighborhood, I felt like Therese really stepped it up a notch with this novel. It's a perfect summer read to really lose yourself into. It's a perfect book club book as well. So you can read it over the summer and then add it to your book club schedule for fall. I loved It All Comes Down to This by Therese Ann Fowler coming in June. And I'm going to second the motion. It's a beautiful book. I also was a huge fan of A Good Neighborhood. So I'm thrilled to have another Therese Ann Fowler novel in my hands. And again, I know I picked it up and I'm like, book clubs are going to love this. I didn't read her last book, but I read A Well-Behaved Woman about Alva Vanderbilt and I loved it. Uh, And she also has a fantastic novel about Zelda Fitzgerald. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Okay, good. I'll have to look that one up explore the backlist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm always such a huge historical fiction fan, but I have been seeing all sorts of things about her new one too. So I'm excited that you both loved it and I'll add it to my list. Great. Well, my next novel is A Walk on the Dark Side. This is called Night Crawling by Layla Motley. It also comes out in June. One of the most amazing things about Night Crawling is that Layla Motley was only 19 years old when she wrote this book. And this young woman is wise beyond her years. The inspiration for the novel was a case in 2015 in the San Francisco Bay Area, where a young sex worker was exploited by the police department. And of course, it was a huge scandal and cast a very negative light on the police who should be trying to help young people in jeopardy instead of exploiting them. But Nightcrawling is really gritty urban fiction. This is not for the faint of heart, but boy, put on your big kid panties and take a look at this one because it is stunning. Her main character, Kiara, is barely scraping by. She and her brother, who is kind of a 'er ne'er-do-well, are trying to make ends meet and support themselves as well as helping a young neighbor boy. And unfortunately, she is forced to turn to night crawling or, you know, sex work to bring in money. And this is a tragic circumstance that happens to young people in the United States in a wealthy country that should have enough resources to take care of its own. But she really pulls the cover off what it's like to barely be getting by in America. It is just as I said, gritty urban fiction. It's raw, it's beautiful, it's intense. And um, coming from a 19-year-old writer makes it all the more of a stunning debut. Pamela, you've now given me something for my TBR list, which like yours is overflowing, but this (laughs) sounds like one I've got to move up. Yeah. And my next pick for summer is also a dark dark subject, but it's nonfiction. And it is Blood Orange Night by Melissa Bond. It's my journey to the edge of madness. And I found this book absolutely heart-wrenchingly horrifying. It's a memoir of one woman's journey. So she's suffering from uh, debilitating insomnia. She has an infant daughter and a special needs son And her insomnia is unbearable. It's not, you know, I can't sleep for a few hours each night. It's she can barely function. She's going, you know, days on just a couple hours of sleep. So her doctor prescribes her benzos. Benzos are the family of Xanax, Valium, Clonopin, and Ativan. And 
he does not explain at all the highly addictive nature of these drugs, but instead prescribes them in a horrifyingly high dose for her. And this leads to an addiction that becomes a prison for her because even as she starts to understand just how dangerous and addictive these drugs are, she also comes to learn that it would be life-threatening for her to wean herself off these drugs and, you know, forget, just stop taking them, she would die. So she finds there's like one doctor in the whole country, or at least in her, her whole area of the country, that has a proven success rate of weaning people off of these drugs. And it's going to take years. Her She journaled throughout a lot of this. Her writing is boy, you are pulled into the hell she's living. Uh, the cover itself is absolutely, it, it pulled me in to see this cover. And then I learned that the photo on the cover is actually her. It's haunting, absolutely haunting. So this book was a wake-up call. You know, I know in in my own life experience that Xanax and, you know, when my mom was, was having children, Valium was the drug that I remember her being prescribed this on a regular basis. Oh, you have four children. Here's your Valium prescription. You're going to need it. Now Xanax is the, the new drug that the doctors are prescribing at, at just ridiculous levels. You're a little stressed, have some Xanax. So all of these are so addictive and they're so overprescribed, her story of this unknowing addiction to this drugs or this, this family of drugs will stay with me forever. She is an amazing, amazing woman. I've heard her interviewed and seen her interviewed numerous times about this book. If you're a memoir reader, this has absolutely got to be on your must-read pile for summer. It is Blood Orange Night. My Journey to the Edge of Madness by Melissa Bond. One of the things I found most stunning about this memoir was that it could be any one of us. I mean, there was nothing exceptional about Melissa Bond's case of falling addicted, you know, to the to these drugs and the type of medical care she received. This is, yeah, exactly as you said, a wake-up call to people about the dangers that lurk if these are not prescribed and monitored properly. Absolutely. That sounds really dark, but really important. It is. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel because she's here telling her story. She survived this and other people can too. That's a great way to look at it and almost as a guide for people that are needing the help getting through that. Definitely. Well, my next book is Ashton Hall. It's by author Lauren Belfort. And this one had me at Gothic. I am a sucker for a Gothic novel, and rarely have I seen an author so skillfully weave multiple plot points into a really cohesive and tightly woven story. Ashton Hall is going to have wide appeal for readers who like historical mystery, who like a fish-out-of-water story. There's a neurodiverse child in the book, lots of family drama, and I just tore through each exquisite page. I wanted to slow down and savor it, but it was just too enthralling. 
And I will put this on anybody's must-read fiction list. It's set in England. Lauren Belfer's main character, Hannah Larson, goes to Ashton Hall to help care for a close relative who is dying. And she brings her son, Nikki, with her. Nikki is on you know, the spectrum somehow. And he's often off exploring when she turns her back. Well, he comes across, of all things, a secret kind of walled off area that no one who lives in Ashton Hall is aware of. And in it, he finds a skeleton. Well, this opens up, of course, a whole new world of wonderful story possibilities. So there's all the research into what happened to this person in this area. Why is there a skeleton there? What's the story behind it? And this is juxtaposed with the current situation that Hannah finds herself in with her young son and an estranged husband. There's a lot of humor in it because she's an American living in a British world. And of course, even though we all speak English, it's very different British terms to American terms really excellent plot points about how you go about doing this sort of um, historical archaeology when they find these skeletal remains in the castle. And then also as she navigates this really tricky situation that has come up with her husband from whom she's estranged. So um, people who I think have read maybe Kate Morton's The Clockmaker's Daughter or Sarah Penner's The Lost Apothecary, All of those fans are going to find Ashton Hall is a novel that you really want to immerse yourself in. It's uh, something you can just kind of curl up with and it will take you away to Ashton Hall and you will be there wandering the halls of the castle just like young Nikki is and finding it just as fascinating. So again, that's Ashton Hall from Lauren Belfer and that will be out in June. And it has an amazing cover. I think that cover is stunning. And my friend, Michelle Beckwith, is friends with Lauren, and she's been recommending that book to me for a couple of months. And it's on my list. I have it from NetGalley, but I haven't gotten to it yet. And I'm so happy to hear you recommend it. Well, bump it up. And the other exciting bit of news is that next week, I actually get to meet Lauren Belfer. So I'm very excited to have a conversation face-to-face with her about this novel. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, like I said, that cover is just stunning. It's one of those that draws you in immediately. And definitely indicates it's a gothic book, I think. And I can't wait to read it. So thanks for recommending it. Thank you. Love some gothic, always. Well, I'm going to switch gears and go to a little bit of a lighter novel. And that is another June release. This is Tracy Flick, Can't Win by Tom Parada. He's the author of Election. And that turned into a a movie, I believe, starring Reese Witherspoon. I never read Election, but you don't need to read that book to get every ounce of enjoyment out of Tracy Flick Can't Win. It is snarky, it is funny, and then it it brings you deeper into Tracy Flick's world. It's 25 years after Election, and now Tracy Flick is a hardworking assistant principal of a public high school. When the principal abruptly announces his retirement, Tracy finally has a chance at the job she wants and deserves. But as she moves through, she realizes that maybe she's not quite the shoe-in she thought she was going to be. She's fighting with the school board. She becomes aware that things that happened in the past are now 
brewing in the present? Is the superintendent plotting against her? Why is the school board president's wife trying so hard to be her friend? And why can't she ever get what she deserves? It is darkly humorous with razor-sharp distillation of our current cultural movement. I tore through this book. I didn't want to leave Tracy Flick's world. It's real. It's raw. It's laugh-out-loud funny when you get into the school politics. And it is a perfect book to tuck in your suitcase and take along with you on vacation. That is Tracy Flick Can't Win coming from Tom Parada. I had no idea that he wrote Election, and I know the movie you're talking about, and this sounds hysterical. I'm definitely adding it to my list. I'm also going to go over to the humorous side of life with my next recommendation, which is Hurricane Girl by Marcy Dermansky. This is a nice, quirky little gem of a novel. It's just a little over 200 pages, so I was able to enjoy it all in one sitting. In this novel, Allison Brody, also known as Hurricane Girl, is having a very bad week. (laughs) She has broken up with her boyfriend, moved out to the East Coast, finally bought herself a lovely little home, and she's owned it for all of a week before a giant hurricane comes and devastates the entire area, and her house is obliterated. And through a kind of comedy of errors, she ends up going off with a cameraman who has come to film about this event for the news. And he is off his meds and very quirky, and she ends up with a head injury. And so it's just one thing after another happening to this poor woman. And if you like quirk, Marcy Dermansky is the author for you. I just loved this book. I thought that the way she handles the situation, it's never what you're expecting. But it always feels true to the character. And I loved the ending. It was just so unusual and weird and wonderful. And I just turned the last page and I thought, that's fabulous. And this is kind of walking on the wild side between a comedy and, you know, sort of horrific because these are really bad things happening to her. But the way Marcy Dramansky handles the story and her writing just pulls it off. And if you are a swimmer, you are going to love this book because that is what Hurricane wants to do to heal her soul is get in that pool and start swimming some laps. So again, it's, it's an odd little book, but it was so refreshing to read something that was different from most of what's out in the world. And It's beautifully written. It's a clever story. It's smart fiction for smart readers. And I think that people are really going to embrace Hurricane Girl if they pick it up and give it a chance. So Hurricane Girl from Marcy Dermansky, you might know her from her last book, Very Nice, which did quite well. And again, this is a great book for book clubs because there is a lot of meat in these 200 or so pages. I'm not familiar with her at all, nor this book. So I'm so happy to hear about it. And I love those kind of off the beaten path stories that, like you said, aren't out there everywhere and are a little different from everything else we're seeing. So I can't wait to check that one out. Yeah, please do. Excellent. Well, I am taking us from light contemporary and bringing us into Denver in the 1930s with Woman of Light by Callie Fajardo Anstein. 
She is the author of Sabrina and Karina, which I hadn't read, but this book just kept calling to me. I had it on my table. I'd pick up something else and I just kept being pulled into this book. And maybe part of it is the fact that the protagonist, her name is Luz Lopez and Luz means little light. And Luz is the name of one of my daughter-in-law's. So this is a dazzling epic of betrayal, love, and fate that spans five generations of an indigenous Chicano family in the American West. And we start with Luz Lopez, a tea leaf reader and laundress who is left to fend for herself after her older brother, Diego, who is a snake charmer and factory worker, is run out of town by a violent white mob. As Luz navigates 1930s Denver, she begins to have visions that transport her to her indigenous homeland in the nearby Lost Territory. So this book kind of, it goes back and forth into her past and her present. It's one of those books I really work to read outside of my own culture to develop a better understanding of how more of the world lives. You know, I understand that my middle-class white Midwestern cultural identity is a very tiny, tiny slice of the rest of the world. So I go out of my way to pick up these books that will give me a better understanding of other cultures. Woman of Light was an absolutely compelling novel. It's beautifully written. It's so visually appealing. And I was kind of dragged down into the pages. I, I couldn't climb back out until I had finished the last one. So that is Woman of Light by Callie Fajardo Anstein coming in June. I've heard such good things about that book, and it is definitely high on my list. Great. Well, my next novel is The Messy Lives of Book People by Fedra Patrick. I'm sure many people will recognize her name. She had big hits with The Curious Charms of Arthur Pepper and Rise and Shine, Benedict Stone. Benedict Stone was actually turned into a Hallmark film, but Fedra's novels are wonderful. They're just like wrapping yourself in a warm hug. Her characters are flawed and complicated, but you're going to love them anyway. And in this novel, The Messy Lives of Book People, a housekeeper who thinks she's leading a very average life and she cleans for a woman who's rather a reclusive author is suddenly given the opportunity to change her life. This author passes away and her final wish is that no one know that she has died before finishing her last novel because she wants this housekeeper, Liv Green, to finish writing the book for her. And so the last thing Liv ever expects is to be a published writer, but here she is going out and living this completely new identity, and no one knows that the author is dead and she is there living in her luxurious home, writing this novel, and readers are going to find out, of course, you know, there's always more than just the surface story. There is a great story behind why she has been selected and how she's going to live up to this challenge. But as always, Fedra presents you with a character that you just 
can't help but cheer for. And it's really a delight if you're looking for something that's happy, that's feel good fiction, but written well. And, you know, it's intelligent. It's not something you're going to read and instantly forget. Fedra Patrick gives you a great character in a charming story every time. And the messy lives of book people is absolutely no exception. I could not agree more on Fedra's books. Every one of them is a hug for your heart. And it's one of those that, again, if, after you've read a few dark or intense novels, you know you can pick up her book and you're going to come out of it feeling light as air. I love that, a hug for your heart, Mary. That's a great expression. So I know anyone who needs a hug for their heart in June should <laughs> go get a copy of The Messy Lives of Book People. Which has another great cover. I think that cover is outstanding. You know me and my covers, I'm always paying attention to that, but I think it's just a wonderful cover. Well, as book lovers, we do love a nice bookshelf. All right, Miss Mary, what's up next for you? Okay, so I am moving into July and my first book, and I I will offer a little disclaimer here that Pamela and I had to duke it out over who was going to talk about (laughs) which books on a lot of these because we love them so much. And this one is no exception. We are both huge fans of Peter Guy and his next book, The Ski Jumpers, is phenomenal. I am not a sports fan. I have one little tiny hometown team that I root for across all sports. It's not my thing. And yet, with The Ski Jumpers, Peter Guy has made me a fan of ski jumping but even more so a bigger fan of his writing. I've loved his books. This one really drew me in. It is a writer and a former ski jumper facing a terminal diagnosis, takes one more leap into a past of soaring flights and broken family bonds. He is trying to reconcile his past before he dies. It's full of family drama and writing so immersive. It had me looking up ski jumps and ski jumpers and the different settings that he referenced in this book. It is a love letter to Minnesota, and it's a love letter to everyone who lives in and loves their cold climates. There's so much family uh, drama going on within the pages. There's some mystery, some thrills, some suspense. There's good guys and bad guys, and you're, you're never quite sure who's who. I loved it so much. It goes all the way through the protagonist's past into what has caused these family rifts, but it's all wrapped in this ski jumping environment that I just found riveting from the very first page to the very last. So that is The Ski Jumpers by Peter Guy coming out in July. Mary and I did have to arm wrestle over who got to discuss The Ski Jumpers. I met Peter with his first novel, Safe from the Sea, and I've been a huge fan ever since. I've read his entire body of work. There is no one on the planet who knows less about sports than I do, and I am not a fan of cold climates either, but I was all in with the ski jumpers and you know, Googling ski jumping videos to see how this worked. And as always, Peter crafts a great set of characters with you know a gripping plot, and so you just can't go wrong. At least one of you, if not both of you, have posted about this one several times because I was familiar with it only from your posts, but it sounds really good. 
It is. And that's coming from the University of Minnesota Press right here in Minnesota. So an extra reason to be proud of it. Oh, that's neat. I always like finding those books from smaller presses that you can highlight. Exactly. Well, my next novel, again, is another June release, and it is Guilt, G-I-L-T, as in all things sparkly and shiny, from Jamie Brenner. And this one is a sparkling gem of a novel, not a little gem. This one's a big one that you want to pack in your summer travel bag. Jamie Brenner's known for fun summer fiction. Her last book was Blush, and before that, The Forever Summer. Again, it's I guess you'd classify it as women's fiction, but this is smart women's fiction. This is not chick lit that's going to be considered silly. These have great characters facing really tricky life problems. In this one, you've got young Gemma Maybrook, who lost her mother, who was a member of a jewelry dynasty. And now due to this publicity stunt that the jewelry company is putting on, she has come back to inflict herself on her relatives. She had been cast out of the family and did not ever understand why she was a child. Now here she is as as a young woman in her 20s, and she is ready to take on the relatives and find out why her mother's diamond ring, the famous electric rose, has gone missing, why she was denied her inheritance, and why her family won't see her. So these women come together after all these years, and of course, the sparks are going to fly. So whether they're in Manhattan or out in Provincetown in this beautiful beach town, these women in the Pavlin family are forced to confront all the disasters from their past and try and forge a way ahead that's going to work for all of them. It's fast-paced fun. The characters are compelling. Jamie crafts a beautiful sentence, and you are just going to love this book. It's the perfect escape for summer, whether you're on an airplane, sitting by the pool. Jamie Brenner is your go-to gal, and guilt, G-I-L-T, is no exception. You want to put this on your summer list. It's just pure, sparkling pleasure. I have actually read this one. I'm like, yay, a book I have finally read. And I loved it. I was like, oh, I I eventually will get to one that I've gotten to. I love Jamie. I love her books. I agree with everything you said. I loved Blush last year. I thought it was such a fun read. It's just recently out in paperback. But I thought this was wonderful. I love the jewelry aspects, the sisters, all of it. I thought it was very well done. So I was happy to see it on your list. It is. And if you follow Jamie Brenner on Instagram, you'll get to see lots of the jewelry that she has, you know, sparkling away to help promote the novel. Really fun. And I actually reached out to her because I loved the smaller storyline of the daughter creating the new jewelry. And it all sounded so neat. And so she gave me the name of the jeweler that she based it on so I could look it up. And I haven't done that yet, but I can't wait to. Very fun. Excellent. I have seen that book everywhere on all of the book talk, all of the bookstagram, Facebook. It's it's really everywhere. And it's on my when I go on vacation, I just bring books that I've been wanting to read and haven't gotten to yet. And that one will definitely be coming along. Good choice. And I've got another July release. And this is a book. So when we were talking earlier about our Spidey Sense, my Spidey Sense thought this book was going to be one thing. I thought it was just going to be fish out of water. It turned into something completely different. It is The Displacements 
by Bruce Holsinger. He's the author of The Gifted School. And I really thought that this was just going to be a rich family having to live without money. It's so much more. I loved it so much. So this is about a family that by all appearances has everything, healthy children, stable marriage, lucrative career for the husband. The wife is an artist. They live in Miami in this you know, huge mansion. And a Category 6 hurricane comes through and wipes several U.S. cities completely off the maps. And all of these families that have had to flee this hurricane, where, where do we put them all? So they are put into these displaced person camps and given, you know, tents to live in. There's a lot that goes into this as to why this family is kind of forced to, to move into this camp without any of their money. They, they come from all this money, but the parents are separated right before the evacuation. And through a series of circumstances, the wife and children find themselves with absolutely no money, no credit cards, no IDs. This book was haunting, absolutely haunting. So when the, the storm makes landfall, all of these, these families are forced to move north into these camps. They are transported hundreds of miles to a FEMA mega shelter where their new community includes an insurance agent turned drug dealer, a group of vulnerable children, and a dedicated relief worker trying to keep the peace. Will they ever find normal again? The suspense in this book, holy cow, I just, the pages turned themselves. It is a thriller. It is a suspense, but it also had me thinking on so many other levels climate change you know what is our country prepared for these climate change disasters that are happening already but are going to be happening at a a faster pace as we move forward and what would it be like to you know we saw this a little bit with hurricane katrina which is referenced in this book but moving forward what will we do with all of these people when climate change transforms the very fabric of our country. I loved this book. I cannot speak highly enough about it. It is The Displacements by Bruce Holsinger. If you are looking for a book to tear through when you head out on vacation, definitely grab this one. I second you again, Mary, as usual. I saw that was on your list. And so I picked it up from my pile last week, and I read through the whole thing. What is it, about 500 pages, Mary? And uh, I had to read it in 24 hours. It was so compelling. Wow. Okay, good. I've seen a lot of posting about it on Instagram, but I wasn't sure what it was about. It sounds really good. I really liked The High House, which one of you recommended in our last episode. And that makes me think a little bit of this, all this climate fiction that's starting to come out. Right. But in many ways... Um, it's going to appeal to fans of Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven. True. Yeah, it's so different from The Gifted School, and I love to see authors really invent themselves in their different works, and he definitely does that with The Displacements. Okay, good. Well, I'm definitely adding that one to my list. Thank you. Great. 
My next one is my very last book for June, and this is a romantic comedy called Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. In this one, our main character, Nora, writes for the Romance Channel, and she writes these heavily formulaic, lovely, feel-good romantic comedies, and one of them is going to be turned into a big-time film. And they actually want to film it at her home where she and her two children live. So they come to film at the house. And of course, the super handsome, swoon-worthy male lead is there and she gets to know him. And when the filming is finished, he decides that he wants to stay on. And he is asking Nora, who is in need of money, if he can pay her $1,000 a day just to stay for an extra week. Nora needs some wiggle room with cash, and she agrees that this is going to happen. Well, of course, what's a romantic comedy without romance? So I'm sure this is not a spoiler. Nora and the swoon-worthy TV star Leo end up falling in love. But of course, complications ensue. And it's charming. It's funny. Her kids are smart and fun, and they complicate things as children's do. But um, the whole cast of characters is just really engaging. And I would love to see this on the big screen. It would work so well. You'll probably be trying to cast it as you're reading. This is just fun. People will identify with it. It's got so many real life problems with, you know, struggling with money and struggling with your kids. And if you have ex-spouses and this kind of things, I don't know that too many of us will get a leading man to come and live in their homes, but it's a wonderful <laughs> novel. I read it on an airplane and it's exactly the right length for a flight from Minneapolis to New York, I'll have you know. <laughs> so that's Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan. And again, that's my last book for June. I love this book so much. I'm obsessed with Nora. I'm obsessed with everything about it. Like Pamela, I was casting it as I was reading it. I found myself just smiling ear to ear as I was going along. It absolutely is a, a uplifting, heartfelt, beautiful novel. That book has been all over Instagram. Talk about one that I have just seen right and left. So I had added it to my list recently because I wasn't sure initially it was my type of book, but based on all these reviews and you guys seconding that, I'm definitely going to add it to my list. It sounds really fun. Yeah, I don't normally race towards a rom-com, but I'd heard great things about this. And when I got an advanced copy, it was just calling to me and I had to read it. And I was so glad I did. Great. Well, my next book is a an epic. The Displacements is about 400 pages. And my next title is almost 600. And it is Fellowship Point, a novel by Alice Elliott Dark. It's brilliant. I was a little intimidated by just how many pages there were, but I found those pages turning, 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 turning. It's one of those, just one more chapter, one more chapter. It is the perfect book club book. It is an epic and masterful story of a lifelong friendship between two very different women with shared histories and buried secrets. It is set across the arc of the 20th century. I did not want to leave this world. It takes a celebrated children's book author who is determined to secure her legacy and also to finish 
her Franklin Square novel series, which she writes under a pseudonym, and nobody knows who the author really is. But she also wants to protect permanently the peninsula of the coast in Maine, known as Fellowship Point. She wants to donate the land to a trust, but she must get the other shareholders of this this property to agree. And one of those shareholders is her best friend, Polly. Polly has lived a completely different life from Agnes. She is a well-off married woman with children. She's devoted to her husband. She just wants a beautiful and harmonious home. And as different as they are, they have maintained this friendship over decades. This book had so much within the pages. I love the fact that you've got this story of female friendship, that you've got these women who are in the twilight years of their lives, but still living very fully. Their friendship has endured all of these things. There's so much going on with this book. People are going to love it. If you're heading off to vacation and you want a meaty read, definitely pick up a copy of Fellowship Point by Alice Elliott Dark. Mary, you are so right. Normally, when I'm sitting down with a 600-page book and I'm going through it and I'm thinking, where is an editor? No one needs 600 pages. But Alice Elliott Dark deserves every one of those 600 pages. Her story is one that even when you turn the final page, you would have been happy to spend more time with these characters. It's on my list and I haven't gotten to it yet because of the size. I haven't really had a time to sit down with that large a book, but I cannot wait to read it. And you guys were just together up in St. Louis or outside of St. Louis, right? And with some other booksellers and you all were posting about it, which made me so much even more excited to read it than I already was. It was one that got the endorsement from the entire group. We'd all read it and everybody had rave reviews. So I thought, okay, that means I definitely need to add it to my list, but I've heard nothing but wonderful things. Don't be daunted by the size. You will be so fully immersed that you would not even care how long it is. Because what you're saying, Pamela, about where is the editor is kind of a constant refrain. I feel like these days that some of these stories are just too long. They're good, but you're like, they could have been a hundred pages shorter, you know, 150 pages shorter. So it's wonderful to know that it deserves its length. It does. Oh, I guess it's my turn. All right. I am finally moving into July and I am going to introduce you to a debut author who currently lives here in Minnesota, Antonia Angress. Her novel is called Sirens and Muses. She is a student at the University of Minnesota in the creative writing program with Julie Schumacher. Julie's name may be familiar. She's the first woman to win the Thurber Prize for Humor for her book, Dear Committee Members. In Antonia's novel, Sirens and Muses, we get taken to the exclusive world of a very fancy, prestigious East Coast Arts College. And there are four people there who intersect and their lives become entangled in this kind of rarefied world. They feel a little adrift. You know, some of these people are just so charismatic and gifted, but does the school really prize beauty and art or are they more going for novelty? But eventually one of the characters concocts this rather explosive hoax that ends up upending all four artists' lives. And they suddenly have to figure out how to move forward after this explosive event. 
this is going to appeal to people who like campus novels like Prep or The Secret History. It's also going to be fun for our art mystery history stories like Goldfinch. And then, of course, all about craft. Um, Writers and Lovers by Lily King would be another good comp for this. I think people are going to find themselves digging into this novel, not knowing what to expect from a debut author. And Antonia Ingress will leave them very satisfied and excited to see what she comes out with next. Um, She's a fairly young debut novelist. And so I hope this is a first book that will lead to many more. Sirens and Muses, Antonia Angress comes out in July. I'm not familiar with this one at all, and I love that title. Me too. Well, I am moving into a memoir and essay form, and this is also a July release. It's Dirtbag, Massachusetts, a confessional by Isaac Fitzgerald. I'm a huge fan of Isaac Fitzgerald. I met him a couple of years ago at a Heartlum Fall Forum event, and he is frequently on the Today Show. He's also, I think, part of Buzz Books. He's been involved in the book world for a very long time. I also fell in love with his children's book, How to Be a Pirate. I just absolutely adored that book. And through following Isaac on social media, I was aware that he's had a pretty colorful life. So he has written down all of this and all of his journey in this memoir and essays. He has been an altar boy, a bartender, a fat kid, a smuggler, a biker, and a children's book author. He uses his charming and witty writing to bring these chapters to life. I felt like we were on a walk together and he was just telling me these stories. And every now and then I'd turn to him and go, come on, that can't have really happened. All of these stories did really happen from smuggling medical supplies in Burma to his lifelong struggle to make peace with his body. He lays it all out in this book, his childhood all the way through to present day. And it's heartwarming. It's sweet. It made me think of Peter Pan come to life. I loved it. If you are a fan of memoirs and like Mary Laura Philpott with her, her memoir bomb shelter that just came out this month is also an essay form. If you like that format, you're going to love Isaac's book, Dirtbag Massachusetts. It's hard to not love Isaac. He's just such a wonderful character. He truly is. It sounds really good. And I absolutely love the title. Yes, the the title pulled me right in and the cover is unique and fun as well. So great book. Okay, good. I'm adding that to my list. My list is getting quite long after talking to the two of you. Oh, good. Mission accomplished. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I hope this will be another one for your list. I'm going to give you a new historical fiction novel called Switchboard Soldiers from Jennifer Shiverini. And it takes us to World War I, but it takes on many of the issues that we are facing today. Jennifer Chiaverini is taking us to France in 1917 when General Pershing is there, and he finds he's unable to communicate with his troops in the field. That's kind of a problem. He needs operators who can swiftly connect multiple calls And he needs them to be able to speak both French and English, stay calm, 
And because they are conveying a lot of classified sensitive information, they have to be really discreet. Well, the problem is that all the trained American telephone operators are women. And in World War I, women are not permitted to enlist. So what happens is that the Army Signal Corps promptly starts recruiting. Well, more than 7,000 women answered the call. And they found that these women who came on the job were able to place the calls in 10 seconds versus the one minute that their male predecessors had been taking. And these women were so brave. They risked death because, of course, they're you know, actually there in the war. And not only are they facing bombs and guns and everything else, as we know, 1917, 1918, there was the Spanish flu, the last, uh, last flu pandemic raging. So um, they came and they served their countries and they did not all survive. As usual, you know, the women were kind of mocked. They were called hello girls for their jobs as uh, telephone operators, but they served with honor. They helped the American troops. Um, their story has never been told before. And so Jennifer Shivernini is back with her latest work of historical fiction, The Switchboard Soldiers, which comes in July. And I think it is just really going to be a revelation for people. I hate to admit this, but I have never read one of her books with all the historical fiction I read. Can you believe it? I know. And she's prolific too. So you will enjoy this one and hopefully be able to explore her backlist. Exactly. And I love books about World War One. I. I love books about World War Two. I. I mean, that's one of my favorite time periods. I love learning about World War One as well. That reminds me a tiny bit of Lauren Willig's Band of Sisters book. Yes. And I loved that one too. Again, it's, you know, these little known aspects that are finally coming to life. It seems like there's just a huge amount of World War II fiction. Not that there's not World War I fiction, but it doesn't seem to be quite as prevalent. And so it's great to see these stories finally getting their time. I agree. I feel like there's a lot less World War I, partly because I think we were in the war for such a short time and it was a shorter war, but I think it's wonderful to start seeing those stories coming out. Definitely. I agree going to be one people need to sit up and take notice of. Great. This sounds like a great one. And I'll add it to my list and then work my way through her backlist. Great. Well, I have the biggest little gem of a book. This is one of those that my spidey sense was wrong. I wasn't really pulled in by the cover and I wasn't completely pulled in by what I read about it either, but it was suggested that I would love it. So I had to open it up and it is called The Boys by Katie Hafner. It comes out in July. Meg Waite Clayton calls it a little miracle of a book. And I absolutely agree. It clocks in at under 250 pages. It's a quick read. And yet I found myself slowing down because the writing just pulled me to slow down. I didn't want to tear through it. I really wanted to become absorbed by the book. And it is about a highly introverted man who marries a vivacious woman. They are absolute opposites, and yet they work so beautifully together right up until the pandemic when the the woman brings home twin boys for them to foster. The husband becomes obsessed with providing these boys with a safe environment. You 
get the idea that things have happened in his childhood and and you learn, you know, you learned he did have these childhood traumas that caused him to be somewhat closed off that maybe caused him to retreat further into himself, but you don't, you know, there's something more going on. So he takes these boys on a bike trip that he had taken with his wife years earlier, hoping that maybe taking them on the trip will somehow release him from, he's become almost a recluse with these boys. He's going to homeschool them. He's obsessed with their diets, with their allergies. He's just completely immersed in providing them the safe environment. And I can't do justice to the book without revealing too much. There's something that happens towards the end of the book that is gasp-inducing. It's a sweet and heartbreaking and completely memorable book. It is one of those books that I know years from now, if I see the title, I'm going to be pulled right into the pages. I'm going to see them vividly and I will never forget it. It's The Boys by Katie Hafner, an absolute hidden gem of a book for me. Thank you for introducing that one to me, Mary. I am now adding to my list. I think it's such an interesting cover on that one. It was very interesting, and yet it didn't it didn't cause me to want to open the pages. I, I thought it was going to be one thing. It turned into a hundred different, better, amazing things. I'm so glad I read it, and I urge everyone to pick up a copy. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed that one. My next July release is a really fun thriller from Jennifer Hillier. Her name will be familiar from really popular books like Little Secrets and Jar of Hearts. Her new novel is called Things We Do in the Dark. And if you like to be on the edge of your seat with white knuckles while you're reading a thriller, this is the one. Uh, Her main character, Paris Peralta, is married to a celebrity older man, and she comes home and finds him dead in the bathroom. Well, she's arrested in her own bathroom. She's covered in blood. She's carrying a straight razor, and her husband has been slaughtered in the bathtub. Well, she knows she's going to be charged with murder, and that is bad enough in itself. The real scary part for her, though, is that 25 years earlier, There was a similar murder, and she might be charged with not one, but two murders now. But of course, the past secrets never really stay in the past, nor do they remain secrets. And things come to light as Paris and her story begin to peel back the layers, and each chapter reveals more of what has happened. You, um, again, are going to be casting the series in this one. Paris Peralta is a really fascinating character. There's also a friend of hers who becomes a podcaster and sort of amateur sleuth, and he's looking into it. It's really exciting. It was really fun. If you want something that's just going to take you away for great escape reading, I know I read it on vacation, and it was an excellent choice. It was just so much fun, and I love a good thriller, and this satisfied on every level. Thrillers can be really hit or miss for me, but I think that I usually like what you like, Pamela, in the thriller arena. So I'm going to add that one to my list for sure. One of you recommended The Overnight Guest in our last conversation, and I just loved that. That was one of Mary's. 
Okay. Well, it was really good, but I usually like either one of your thriller recommendations. So I'm definitely adding that one to my list. Is it as dark as Jar of Hearts was, or is it not quite so dark? No, I mean, it's not, it's not gory or super dark. No, I would say it's in the tradition of your typical amount of darkness for a thriller that involves a murder. Okay, perfect. Then I'm going to definitely pick that one up. Thank you. So I only have one August book and truth be told, it might take you all of August to get to it or get through it because it's another giant book. Gosh, I don't think I've ever read so many books of this length so close together ever, but every one of them has been just fascinating for me. So my August pick is Properties of Thirst by Marianne Wiggins. You've probably seen it on social media all over the place because it is all over the place. It is an epic work of historical fiction set around the Japanese-American internment camps and the L.A. water wars. Both of these things, especially the Japanese-American internment camps, you know, that was maybe a half a chapter in my high school history book. It was such a short short thing being taught to me that it was easy to just kind of, you know, pretend it didn't happen or forget it ever happened. So this book really, really goes into the history behind those internment camps, how they were built, the technical details of building a camp that would hold tens of thousands of people, how to feed these people, how to get these people water when you're building this camp in a place where the water has been diverted. There were so many aspects of this book that taught me things that I never knew, and I was fascinated by it. And there's a backstory to the writing of this novel, and Marianne Wiggins is a Pulitzer Prize finalist who suffered a devastating stroke while writing this novel before she had finished the final chapters. And her daughter, who had somewhat of a fraught relationship with her mother, stepped in and moved in to help her recover from the stroke. And she used this book to help draw her mother back to the present time and to help her mother work her way through the devastating effects of language and and writing and memory, all these things that were affected by her stroke. The book is epic and sweeping, and the backstory is just as epic and sweeping. I loved it. There was so much going on in this book, and I found every bit of it to be fascinating. So Properties of Thirst by Marianne Wiggins, coming in August. I have seen this one everywhere. And it's particularly relevant now with the news that with the drought out in California, they're going to be limiting water for the first time ever down in Southern California. So that will really tie in with the story. Absolutely, it will. Absolutely. And when you look at, oh my gosh, just our our history with looking at, at people that are a huge part of our population as being they and the enemy and we have to watch out. I mean, that's all pertinent to today's world as well. So I I just got so much out of this. I felt like it was a a history course within a page-turning novel. 
My final recommendation for July 2022 is When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Medoff. This is complicated family drama at its best. Jillian Medoff introduces us to the Quinn family, and there's a mother, father, two sons, and a daughter all of whom are extremely wealthy. They live a very privileged life. They adore each other. It seems like they have a charmed existence. But the one son who's a junior in college is arrested for raping his ex-girlfriend. The family is all convinced that he could never have behaved this way. And of course, they race to defend him and hire the best attorneys possible. But as the story proceeds, we find out from the daughter, Cassie Quinn, that there are many errors to this facade of perfection. She is not, in fact, the family's biological daughter. She came to them when her own parents, who were friends of the family, died, and they took her in. And these parents whom she professes to love and have a fabulous relationship with, there's actually some dark undertones there. And these brothers with whom she is so close, again, um, that's on the surface. And there's some issues boiling away deeper down. We've all seen these rich young men who, you know, are suddenly accused of rape. And in the courts, they, you know, present themselves in a suit as fine upstanding young men. And then, of course, the defense comes back and says, you know, that they're, yeah, they're white, they're privileged, they're smart, but they did this terrible thing. So here we get both sides of the story. Did he do it? Didn't he do it? Is the girlfriend a liar? Does she have revenge on her mind for something else? Or is she his victim? It's absolutely compelling. And there will be some plot twists that you don't see coming. These are complicated characters and some dark family issues, but you will be wanting to find out exactly how When We Were Bright and Beautiful is going to come to a conclusion. And it is stunning when it does. Jillian Medoff has really pulled off a great family drama. Sounds like that would be a great book club one, too, with all of the issues, tough issues, and ones that seem to be in the news a lot these days. Most definitely, this will have a lot of fodder for book club discussions. There are so many talking points and so much in the news and in other current novels that you could read and compare and discuss. Absolutely. Well, I am down to my final novel and I cheated a little bit. This is actually a September pick, but I just love it so much that I wanted to draw people's attention to it. And you know what? You can pre-order it now. And then when summer's over and you think the fun is over, you'll get notified that your book is in and it'll be a gift to yourself. It is The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Cohen-Leugman. And this is just an absolute gem of a book. Linda is the author of The Two Family House and The Wartime Sisters. And this, uh, The Matchmaker's Gift, is about finding love. Is it a calling or a curse? In 1910, as a child, Sarah Glickman knew her gift. She is a seeker of soulmates and a maker of matches. But among the push-crowded streets of New York's Lower East Side, her vocation is dominated by devout men 
who see a talented female matchmaker as a dangerous threat. In 1994, two generations later, Sarah has passed away and bequeathed her journals with all the details of her matches to her granddaughter, Abby, who is a successful divorce lawyer. The journals open a Pandora's box, leaving Abby to question everything. Why does the career she chose suddenly feel so inconsequential? How much is she willing to sacrifice to keep her grandmother's mysterious promise to a stranger? And is there really such thing as love at first sight? I adored this book. Gosh, it is smart. It's intelligent. It's so well-written. The characters are beautiful. I could hear their voices in my head. I easily flipped between the two time periods and the ending just tied everything up so absolutely beautifully. I adore this book, The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Cohen-Leugman, coming in September. This book really is a gift. It's a book that you should gift to yourself, to your mom, your grandmother, your friends. It is just a delight. I've read all of Linda's novels, and this one is just a beauty, and the cover is breathtaking. I was so excited that you included this one because in the last few months, I've launched a special program for my Patreon account. And we read a book early, everybody gets a NetGalley widget, and then we talk to the author pre-publication. And this is our August pick. So we will be reading this book and talking with Linda in August before the book comes out in September. So I was so excited when I saw it on your list with that high recommendation. How absolutely lovely and what a wonderful Patreon perk, I've got to say. And this is one that I got it and I had a few other ones that I really had to get through, but the cover is stunning. And that cover just kept calling to me until I picked it up and opened it. And the inside is every bit as beautiful as the cover itself. You are going to have such an excellent conversation with Linda. She is an attorney by day and she has a family and she writes novels. She's just this amazing Renaissance woman and fun. You are going to have an absolutely great conversation about The Matchmaker's Gift. I'm really excited about it. She and I have been friends on Facebook for years. I loved her first book, The Two Family House. I haven't read her second book, but I think it will be delightful. So far, we've had so much fun with these conversations, getting to talk to authors ahead of time, and I think she will just be perfect for it. So I was so happy that it was on your list, and I've seen nothing but absolutely wonderful things about it. That's great. Before we go, Cindy, I'm afraid you always get more than you bargained for with me and Mary, but I have to give a shout out to a book that comes out on November 29th. We'll be facing the holidays at that point in winter. So here's something exciting to add to your list. It's called Winterland by Ray Meadows. Ray wrote The Mercy Train, which was extremely popular. And her last novel was I Will Send Rain. Winterland takes us to the frozen tundra of Siberia in communist Russia and the elite world of gymnasts. This young girl is selected for her talent and you know, all of us during the era of Olga Corbett, you know, we knew what the communist regime was like in terms of training these athletes and how intense it was. But she really brings it home. When I read this book, I right away got in touch with Ray and I said, I never knew you had lived in Russia. You know, how long were you there? And she said, oh, I've never lived in Russia. But you will not ever guess that from reading Winterland. It takes you right there. You meet 
several generations of women and find out about, you know, what life was really like. It's just unbelievable to me that an outsider wrote this novel. It's an amazing flight of imagination and beauty. She crafts her novels so well. Winterland is a gift that you should give yourself and put it on your Christmas Hanukkah shopping list. Comes out November 29th. You can pre-order it by the case and pass them out. But this is a gift that is going to be great for your friends, your family, your book clubs, Winterland. And it's by Ray Meadows coming from Henry Holt Publishers. I always enjoy getting more than I bargain for because you guys have the best recommendations. So now I can look ahead to fall and add something to my list from that time period as well. Thanks for letting me squeeze that one in. Of course. Well, both of you, I can't thank you enough. As I've said several times already, I love your recommendations and my list has grown exponentially longer, but I very much appreciate that. There's nothing more fun than a very big TBR. So thank you both, Pamela and Mary, for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Thank you for inviting me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and Mary. And I loved every minute of it. Anytime you want us back to talk books, I don't think you'll have to uh, try very hard to get us here. Well, that's great to hear. Thank you so much, Cindy. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.